Diet Black Podcast is a podcast about true crime, punk rock, and goth music, supernatural TV shows, creepy movies, creepy crafts, and fashion reviews, or totally random weird things. It may contain graphic content, vulgar language, and suggestive themes that may be triggering and or inappropriate for some listeners. All opinions are just that, opinions. We are not scholars, lawyers, or historians, and by no means do we claim to be experts and have no proof that the information we obtain and discuss to be fact. Yeah, you know, we do our best. <laughs> <laughs> so I am Liam. I'm Tam. And welcome to Die, Die, Diet Black podcast. That's us. <laughs> that is us. And welcome back to episode four, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between. We are back and we've got something a little different for you today. We've been doing some pretty heavy topics for the last two episodes and we wanted to bring you something weird and creepy but not really scary like oh shit that could happen to me so we've got i mean we think this subject is weird but to the people who are into it it's totally not well yeah <laughs> and you know we are people who completely feel that whatever you're into that's your jam do your thing but um it doesn't mean we may not make fun of you for it and find it a little weird but at the same time it's all in good humor it's all in good faith and we totally respect your right to do it so that is... be your freaky selves so without further ado we're gonna take you to the mountains of tennessee Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, rednecks and freaks, creeps and geeks, welcome to Frozen Head State Park in gloomy Wartenburg, Tennessee, for the wildest, most insane foot race in the history of man, a true trolling test of man's strength and will to push forward with no reward. How far would you go? How far would you go on foot in the dark, alone? With only a compass to guide you. Could you go a hundred miles? Could you go a hundred miles in sixty hours? What if your life depended on it? Now what if your life didn't depend on it at all, but you just wanted to join one of the most exclusive clubs in the world? I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, not many people get to say it, but... um. There is a foot race that takes place every March that caters to only those with the strongest of wills in the most peak condition and with what some think is probably the biggest death wish. There's a crazy man who created this race who will send you through the toughest course of your life. And in the end, there's no trophy. There's no financial prize. You get to say you did it. And as of now, there's only 15 people in all of history who can make that claim. This, this is the story of the Barkley Marathons. This race was founded by a mad mountain man in the woods of Tennessee, who knows the woods around Frozen Head State Park and Wartenburg, Tennessee, like the back of his hand or his sister. <laughs> this man's name is Gary Lazarus Lake Cantrell. He used to be an ultra runner himself and started long-distance running groups in Memphis in the 70s. Oh, yeah, and his co-conspirator and founder, well, his name is, wait for it, 
Raw Dog. I need to know how he got that name. He be Raw Dog in it. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was unable to find the origins of Gary being called Lazarus Lake, otherwise known as Laz for the rest of the podcast, because that's what people know him by. And Raw Dog is just Raw Dog. Um, now, were you going to set a little bit of a scene here about this area of Tennessee? This is up in the mountains. There is nothing up there. Nobody's going to hear you scream. We are exactly. We ourselves had a little bit of a run-in in this area. Oh God! Just about a year ago, we were driving down to Florida, and our lovely GPS system was like, "Hey, there's a lot of traffic going into Chattanooga. Maybe you guys want to take a shortcut. It'll take an hour off your trip." We're like, "Okay, cool." Little did we know. We were headed up a mountain in these tiny back roads, switchbacks all over the place. Nothing but that. That is my turn. That is very rude. We are trying to tell a story here without demons interrupting us. Correct. Um, yeah. So yes, we're up on this mountain road, and there's nothing around but woods, a couple of small towns. And situations where, like, there's burnt-out school buses. You know you're in an area where nobody cares when there's burnt-out school buses. Yeah, like, wrong turn. I was flipping the fuck out right then and there. I'm telling you what. I tell you what. We were just waiting for some, like, scary hillbillies to come out of the woods and be like, Oh, you want to stay for dinner? Congratulations! Your dinner! But no, we made it through, but we promised ourselves never again would we get stuck in the backwoods of Tennessee. <clears throat> no more shortcuts. Sorry. Yeah. Google Maps, you suck sometimes. So. You also scared the shit out of me. Exactly. Thanks. No thanks. Um, this is where this little story takes place. This is where the Barkley Marathons are. This They're is. Chattanooga. They're out in the mountains of Tennessee. I'm not exactly sure where, but... I mean, mind you... It's a big state. It's a big state, and it is pretty. The Blue Ridge Mountains are absolutely gorgeous. My dad used to have a house in the Blue Ridge that was, like, right on the Georgia-Alabama line in, like, northwest Georgia. Absolutely beautiful. Hence the uh, accent, you know. I mean, I get to pull my Florida... Florida swamp roots out here. Oh. I know. You know, it makes me hot when you do that. <laughs> All right, darling. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, in 1977, Laz watched on television news as several inmates escaped from the Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, which is surrounded by the woods and adjacent to his own Frozen Head State Park. One of the inmates who escaped was James Earl Ray, the man who had killed Martin Luther King Jr. Now that penitentiary should have been able to hold that man. But he got out, and he and six other inmates took off through the woods. And, ev and everybody was glued to their TV sets to see how long it would take them to reel these boys in. Because you know them cops are out there with them damn their blue ticks, just chasing him down. They had several groups of police Ooh. and the state troopers and helicopters looking for these guys 
Man, they were sure you wasn't getting far, but there's some heavy woods. Exactly. So Laz watched the news to see how far Ray would get. He only got eight miles from the prison in the 60 hours he was on the run. Laz swore up and down that he could have gone at least 100 miles in that amount of time. And with that, a challenge was issued. And so it begins. And so it begins. Now, for 40 years, Laz goes out and marks a trail from his camp at the state park up and down the mountain, under the prison, and then up and down the mountain again and back to camp. And that sounds like a long run in itself. But here's the thing. There's no guidebook, only a map and compass to guide you. There's no trails. It's all unmarked wilderness. And that loop is only 20 miles. Now, do it four more times in the next 48 hours. Less than 40 people are allowed to enter in any given year. A certain group of veterans are allowed to return. And a super number of spaces are left. Super. Soupin'. <laughs> Soupin'. It's a new word. <laughs> Soupin' certain. Soupin' certain. Soupin' certain. So a certain number of spaces are left open for virgins. Most virgins have heard rumors of the race, but have no idea of the actual course. Now, the veterans may have seen the course the year before, but it does change every year. Every year, Laz tweaks it a little. New places are added. And most say that those 20-mile loops are probably closer to 26.2 miles and a true marathon that the runners... True marathon numbers by now. That's true. So that's not... So that's one loop. They're doing it five times. So they're running five marathons. In 60 hours. And they're going like up and down some crazy terrain. And, it, I mean, it gets nuts. So actual requirements for entering the race are highly guarded secrets. Maybe it's all a front to find moonshine runners for Lazarus. I'm just saying, Lazarus. I mean, I'm not hating. But Laz does want entrance to be accessible to everyone, regardless of financial situations. And after seeing them highfalutin races... With a dollar per mile or more for entrance fees, he decided to put it at a penny a mile. So the entrance fee is a dollar sixty. Now, you may want to get your sister to help you with this part because there's an essay portion. <laughs> and you better be square with the law because every new applicant must submit a license plate from their home state. Which Laz then adds to a hanging display at the start of the starting line every year like a hillbilly wind chime. Oh, it's not spring till you hear them hillbilly wind chimes blowing through the breeze. Now, the other requirements vary depending on Laz's personal needs. For a while, he wanted white button-down shirts. Now, these for court are for, appearance. <laughs> yes, now these are for the re-entries. And then once he had enough of that, he changed it to socks. Which, from what I understand, were like navy with gold toes. Very specific. And then uh, then he moved on to flannel shirts. I mean, who needs to go to Goodwill when you got people bringing you the necessities every year? I mean, it seems like a good <laughs> deal to me. He gets to stay up on the mountain and he still gets a nice wardrobe. Yeah. I'm going to fall out of this accent. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. For those strong enough to finish the previous year and dumb enough to come back, he requires a pack of camel cigarettes. Because they are the best cigarettes, in his opinion. The contestants are 
an international bunch hailing from as far away as Belgium and India, and one scientist even donated a license plate from his lab truck in Antarctica. What? What the fuck? Yeah, I mean, they got plenty of stuff from, like, New York and Nebraska and North Carolina, but, you know, when you can get a dude who can bring you an Antarctica license plate, that means that you've hit the big time. I'm just saying. Not many other people on the mountain have an Antarctica license plate hanging out of their window. So, every year, the race will begin any time between 12 o'clock midnight and 12 o'clock noon on race day. Sometimes that morning, you know, they'll start right after midnight in the dark at like 1 a.m. Sometimes he'll make them sit and wait until 11 Nobody knows, and it changes every year. Yeah, I think he said something like one time he started as early as what, 1 a.m. and yeah. as late as like 11. Yeah, he does that every year just to keep them on their toes. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to try to, yep, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so they're all sitting there in their camps getting nervous and waiting because sometime that morning, Laz is going to blow a conch shell. And, exactly. And that single signals. Not a shofar, by the way. <laughs> one. And. So no one knows when that shell's going to blow. And they have to be prepared to have everything they need ready and packed and be on that starting line by the time that hour's up. And they all start behind this one infamous yellow gate at the trailhead. It could still be pitch black out. It could be blazing sunshine. It could be nice spring weather it could be 10 degrees and all their water's gonna freeze or it could be blazing hot they don't know it changes every year it just depends on what's happening up there in the mountains that year yeah well with global warming this year's probably gonna suck ass yeah i mean because our winter started super early this year yeah so it's still freezing i know we say that every time we record but it has not gotten better no so <laughs> the high today was like fucking 14 i know it was awful jeez so they're all on the starting line they're waiting at the gate and they're waiting for that starting signal which is laz lighting a cigarette that's it they're off each it's like you're yep, off <laughs> exactly and he laz gets to stand back and enjoy his camels that he had brought to him and Every I mean, free 99 always tastes better. <laughs> I'm just saying. And each racer touches the gate for good luck and heads off into the woods, sometimes in packs with a veteran leading a virgin, sometimes solo. But loop number one has begun, and now they have 60 hours to complete all five loops. Every time I hear virgin, I'm like, it's just a step to the left. <laughs> Yes, it's that kind of virgin. It's the same premise. It's basically people... Put your hands on your hips. I mean, some of these guys may very... I mean, and I say guys, it's not all guys, but I mean, it's mostly guys because that's the kind of people who are into this sort of thing. And but, I totally give it to the women who have the balls to do this. Yeah, and every year there are a couple of women who try, and God bless them for that. I mean, get out there and do it, ladies. Show them it can be done. It's all about pushing yourself to the limit. Exactly. So, the first loop goes clockwise for the 20 miles, or 26 if you ask the runners. And the second loop is exactly the same course, but at night. Because each loop takes about 10 to 12 hours to complete. So, they have to do the same thing, but 
Now they can't see it. All they've got is a little headlight. The third loop is the same loop, but counterclockwise during the daytime. Excuse me, can I get a do-over? My headlamp is broken. <laughs> nope. You don't have a headlamp. You go in the dark. Fuck. <laughs> and then once the third loop in the counterclockwise is done during the daylight, the fourth is the counterclockwise at night. Now the fifth loop, if anybody actually gets that far, it's a staggered start. So one racer goes first and picks their direction. And if they go clockwise, then the next runner must go in the opposite direction. So they go counterclockwise and so forth. And if there's any runners still going by loop five and many years, there aren't, but it just, they're going in opposite directions and seeing who can make it through first. Yeah. If you can't figure your directions out, you're yeah. fucked. Yeah. It's all compass. There's no GPS. Now, mind you, you haven't slept. Right. In almost two days, and you gotta figure this shit out. Like, that's some crazy shit. Yeah. So, at the beginning of each loop, you get issued a number, like a little race paper number that you get in any race. Like your placard. Yeah. Okay. So, to make sure that the racers are actually sticking to the course, they have to find these trail markers that are hidden along the trail. And they're not big neon signs that say, go this way, or you've made it so far. They're literally paperback books in Ziploc bags, either tied to trees or buried under rocks or hanging from fences. Yeah, he's just like, fuck you, good luck. And I've read that, like, I've seen some of the titles and, like, mm -hmm. this one guy put, like, a GoPro on. He's like, last to die? What the fuck, Laz? <laughs> yeah, they're called, like, Hell Valley or Doomed. Or, last to die. Yeah, or... I mean, he's just fucking with them. So, each... I'm gonna eat my own foot. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> so, each racer must find the book and then take the page from the book that matches the number of their race number. They tear out that page, and they have to return to camp at the end of each loop. They present all of the pages to Laz to prove that they stuck to the course. Which is usually like 13 pages. Yeah, it's between 11 and 13 most years. Yeah. And, you know, they have to prove that they're not just hiding in the woods, you know, for yeah, 10 hours. Yeah, because they gotta give him just... to Laz, and he's actually gotta count them and ensure that they did it. And, you know, there have been years that people thought that they completed the whole thing, and they came in with 10 pages... And he's like, nope, sorry, dude, there's supposed to be 11. You fucked up. Yeah, and you're done. You're out. So, you know, runners have been known to get lost in the dark or go the wrong way and end up off course. It happens all the time. One guy got so lost that he was found by some other adventurers who were out there and got returned by a van 16 hours after he started. He drove his own fucking minivan. <laughs> it's, it's actually a documentary. It's, um... Barkley marathons where dreams go to die. Yes, all so, the time. His name is the Ginger Runner. Oh, that's the Ginger Runner who yeah. got okay. See, that wasn't in the documentary that I saw. I got most of my information from a documentary called The Barkley Marathons: The Race That Eats Its Young. Right. So that's where it started. And right. And this guy decided he wanted to be in the race, and he did his own. Okay. So I watched that one. So gotcha. while you were watching that one, I was watching the other one, going, "Whoa." Exactly. I was like, babe, babe, I saw this really weird thing. Check it out. And I did, but I just watched a different one. And that's fair because now we have more information. Yeah, like I just all I remember is like there was at one point where he's like, All right, I'm gonna sleep and prepare the barley whatever from a bladder and I'm like, I don't even want to know what he's doing right now. 
Yeah, you said something about him putting like rice or something. Rice barley in his bladder. I don't. I, I don't know. I don't what fucking that's about. know. Look, I tried hey. to do some research on it, and it just. If anybody knows what that's all about, like DM us. Cause, oh, please ooh. God. Or send us an email because I'm totally confused by that and I'm creeped out, but I want to know. It's dietblack at gmail.com, by the yes. way. Yes. Um, so another guy, he went you two guys miles. Want a kitten? Oh, my God. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> he went two miles on the course and then he got lost. And he didn't get back until 32 hours later, setting an official worst course pace at 16 hours per mile. Oh, there was one guy on uh, one of the documentaries that I watched, like, he finished it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I was an hour and a half ahead of my original time. He's like, but at one point I actually just passed out and went to sleep and forgot (laughs) where the fuck I was. (laughs) But he still finished, by the way. And that's, that's important. That is like human endurance like yeah holy shit that's what this whole thing's about so you take it from here baby it's my turn it's your turn over oh. the next 60 hours oh yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry <laughs> i got lost in my own paperwork i got a little overexcited all right so over the next 60 hours they have to follow a route that is natural obstacles with names like the pillars of doom which are natural columns of stone. One wrong step or slip off of one, and you could fall about six feet to the ground. Which reminds me of one of the, the this, the one where the guy put like the GoPro on him. Apparently, uh-huh. there was a guy I don't know from where he had like a broken collarbone, and he just kept going. The guy's like, every time I see you fall, it makes me wince. Oh, yeah. There was another guy they showed who was trying to cross a stream, and he slipped and hit his head. And he came back in after loop one, and he just had blood pouring down his face. Oh. So it's gnarly. No, it's some gnarly shit. So, and then they get to wade across son of a bitch ditch <laughs> before climbing back up to testic- testicle spectacle and across raw dog falls and then up danger Dave's climbing wall. Then they get to run up and down the rat jaw which is covered with briar patches and will slice up their legs like running through a gauntlet of razor blades, which I believe there's a picture of a guy. Yeah, that was actually the picture that I posted on our Instagram is a guy who was just coming back from the rat jaw and his legs are just sliced to hell. Yeah, fuck that. And then it goes through the bad thing and finally ending at big hell. I mean, what what is it going to be to be called big hell? Well, it's all up to Laz. None of these names are on a map. They're all made nope. up by Laz and his crew. crew so And are not on any map. Nope. It's only on theirs. And then an, another obstacle is dedicated to the race's origin. The racers must crawl through a water tunnel that goes underneath Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary from the northeast corner all the way across the other side of the complex. And it is the only access to the other side of the mountain from the prison. So also on the one where the guys like got the GoPro. Yeah. Apparently while he was out, there was a huge rainfall. Oh, so they had to swim through the so tunnel. So the water's like rushing through the tunnel because oh. it rains so much. And they got one guy down the bottom going, Um, it should be okay if we hug the wall. And I'm like looking at it going. You are some crazy motherfuckers. Yeah, I mean, they're crawling out of basically a tunnel filled with water underneath a prison. It's some Shawshank Redemption shit right there. 
Oh, hopefully not the... <laughs> the the squeal like a pig parts. No, no, no. Just just like, you know, Andy Dufresne crawling out from underneath the prison. That, Dear God. That's all I'm saying. So when you get back from one loop, you have to touch the yellow gate and get your time from last. Now, if you really got to pee touching that yellow gate, I could assume would be just awful. <laughs> and then you could take as much time as you want to get rest, food... And repack, but the longer you wait to go back out, the harder it is to get motivated to get going again. And then once you're ready, you go back to Laz at the gate, he gives you another race number and time, and you head back out in the dark. Now, they keep going as long as they can. Many don't even finish the first loop. I mean, that's like, what, 20 to 26 miles, basically. Yeah, I mean, that's a marathon, yeah. but you're going up and down a mountain. You're going through all these obstacles. Fucking, fucking so you cat. have to imagine that, you know, just running a marathon's hard, but a marathon in these... Awful conditions. Exactly. So that's once. And most people just can't take it. Yeah. They so... hit the end, and they're like, that's it. I'm done. Yeah, so this is like over 60% of the runners are done after two loops. Or the first 24 hours. Now, if they finish three loops, it's known as a fun run. A fun run? That's what they call it. They call it the fun run. That is the most sadistic fucking thing I've ever heard. Yeah, but for a lot of people, they're like, God, I don't know if I can make five, but if I can only make it through the fun run. Yeah, so then apparently that's the goal for some runners is to just make the fun, fun run. run. Yeah. I don't really think it's a fun-sized run. I think it's just a fun run. Like... Oh, I want to die, but I did it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, fuck that. But see, every year there's one guy who has no business out on the course, and they pick him specifically from all of the applicants that come in that year. <laughs> As I commend and also think he's you're such a, a dick. Such he's a like, bastard. He's you're like, a... I gotta see how bad and how spectacularly this one guy fails. So he gets to race as number one. He gets the number one placard. Dude, I'd be pissed if I did all this training and went out there and got a fucking number one. I'd be like... But they never know what it's about. I mean, by now they probably do. But at the time... Yeah, because it was not really talked about. Exactly. And then once the uh, documentary started to come out, people really started to learn about this thing. But for a long time, it was basically the fight club of... Like, ultra races. Yeah. You don't talk about the Barclay Marathon. But it's like the pinnacle of, like... Foo, I highly doubt you're going to do this. Could you not? <laughs> but yeah, so just so you know how twisted these guys are, this one guy that they are just waiting to fail, they like to call him the human sacrifice. Because somebody's going to die up on this mountain. Yeah, I mean, we're waiting for it. Um, many of the others get back to camp after a loop, but they can't face going back out again. They're just like, nope, that was tough. I can't do it. But once somebody taps out or drops or is dragged back to camp somehow, their fate, their fate is sealed. That's it. They don't get another chance. They get asked if they want to go back out. But if they say no, they've failed. There's actually a kid on site with a trumpet whose sole job is to play taps as each contestant dies. And not literally dying, but like dies failing. And... This kid had no idea when he started doing this that this is what it was for. They were just like, hey, there's a kid we know. He knows how to play taps. Get him out here. And every year, every single person who fails gets taps played for him. And 
you know, they're begging for it, half of them. They're like, I can't do it. Just, and Laz is like, you sure? I can, you know, I'll let you go for another run. And they're just like, no, no, I can't do it. And many years, there aren't any finishers. There, every single person who enters the race fails. Every single person gets to hear the taps. There wasn't even a finisher at all in the race for the first 10 years that they were doing it. There wasn't a finisher until 1995. That guy, Mark Williams, was the first finisher. And nobody won again for another six years until two men actually finished in 2001. The most have ever finished in one year were three men in 2012. And that's the year that they were filming for the documentary that I saw. So there's actually three guys who finished it that year. And only one man has ever finished it three times. One of those guys has actually done it three times. But the last couple of years, 2018, 2019, nobody's won. <clears throat> yeah, because Laz is like, fuck you, you're not finishing the race. Yeah, he keeps redoing it. So, um, you know, they've made it to this point. And, you know, if nobody finishes it, that's it. That's over. If they do, then they tap that yellow gate for the last time after five tries through that loop and they give him all of their little pieces of pages from all the books and then that's it it's over they've won they've conquered the course they've climbed over 5400 feet which is literally twice the height of mount everest they've raced over 100 miles and they've done it all in less than 60 hours one guy literally finished with nine minutes left on the clock. I mean, honestly, as crazy as this is, that is some hardcore shit. Like, honestly, I feel like five hours in, I'd be like, I can't go on, just shoot me. I don't even know if I'd get that far. I mean, let's be honest. I like sitting around the house in my pajamas. I don't like walking more than, like, a couple blocks in the city. I'm not going to go out and climb a mountain repeatedly in the dark well that's some of the stuff that i've seen on him yeah so when they talk to laz he's like the problem is is people get too comfortable with being comfortable it's true so the whole point of this is to get people to realize what comfort and happiness really is so there's a lot based on this like he yeah means... there's a lot of psychology that goes into it Which Laz is... is not a He's extremely smart. Yeah, man. he's not a stupid guy. He's done the ultra races. He knows what it takes to do this. He does it himself. He goes out and he finds the courses himself. Yeah, it's all about human endurance. And, like, he's super happy when someone finishes. Mm-hmm. Like, that means there's no, there's no greater reward for him than to see somebody finish it and sit down and see their sheer happiness. Yeah. And like, and that's that's commendable. And over the years, that group stands right now stands at fifteen men. And these men, because that's what they are, they're cisgendered white guys who need to torture themselves for a sense of accomplishment. They're they're done. They're ragged. They're stinky. They haven't slept in three days. Apparently, they've got rice in their bladders. Still don't know what that's about. Still want to know. <laughs> we would like to know. Please tell us. But they're sick for weeks to recover. Because we're fat and lazy and we would never do that. <laughs> they, their scars will heal. Their legs will like heal up. And 
their feet, they're going to lose a full layer of skin. I don't know if you've ever seen long distance runners feet. It comes off like, like a layer of skin, like a snake. That's fucking disgusting. disgusting. They all look hollow and gaunt, but you know, eventually that'll fill back in when they get calories again. And then they want to do it all over again the next year. I mean, all right. If that's your goal, that's dope. So I did not look up a freaky sorbet. No, I think, I don't think that we need one this time around. I think that this was just the right amount of fun and crazy and, and weird. Yeah, and that... I mean, it's really cool. Like, go out, watch the documentaries, um, watch, uh, there's some stuff on Laz himself, which is really awesome. Like, he's a really cool guy. Like, he's super chill, laid back. Like, this is what he wants to do. And and honestly, I commend him for doing this and getting people to push themselves to a limit. And yeah. the whole idea is, it's like the human consciousness. It's like getting you to push yourself to a limit that you thought you could never reach. And to go beyond mental capacity. Like, the race is designed to be mental. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you, you, you're going to be in pain, you know, yeah. like this guy that I was watching on one, he's, he comes back after the first loop and he's like, the muscles in my legs are spasming. Like, I don't think I can go on, but I have to. Yeah. There was another guy who said that he fell at one point and he was <laughs> at the bottom at the rat jaw and he was just caught in all of these briars, but he took a minute to look up at the stars and just realize where he was and the beauty of his surroundings. And just that was enough to make him disconnect from his reality of life in his day-to-day world to get back up and keep going. Yeah, I think like for some people who are into the full-on sports fitness mentality, it's a sense of it's meditation. And mm-hmm. I think it's really cool because I feel like maybe like, a few hundreds of years ago, like you would have done this just to survive. Absolutely. And now we're so comfortable with air conditioning and having whatever the fuck we want, heaters, that we don't know what it's like to survive anymore. Like the human body has just gotten so adjusted to comfort. Yeah. And for a couple fat little pocket punks like us, I don't know that we'll ever be able to experience nope. that euphoria. Mm-mm. No, because I had to shovel our driveway for an hour this week and I hated it. So, I mean, that's the story of the Barkley Marathons. There's a lot more to it. Um, As Liam said, definitely check out the documentaries. The one that I watched is on Amazon Prime. It's called The Barkley Marathons, The Race That Eats Its Young. And And Yeah, and the one that I watched was The Barkley Marathon Where Dreams Go to Die. And you can watch that on YouTube. Exactly. There's a bunch of little ones on YouTube, too. So if you want just you don't want a full movie, but you want to kind of get a taste of it, it's on there. And there's a bunch of websites now dedicated to it because it's catching on and people talk about it online. But for the longest time, as I said, there was kind of a code of silence and there was no Web page that directed you to any of this. And you can kind of understand why, though. Like, yeah, it's not about like people. trying to win this ultimate marathon it's about people trying to push themselves to a level that they never imagined possible exactly so you know that's 
that's great for them. <laughs> <laughs> Good for y'all. Good for y'all. But we ain't doing it. Nope. So we're going to wrap that up. We're going to say thank you again for listening to us. Oh. And yes. before we end, which yeah. I kind of liked from one of the podcasts that we both listened to, I kind of turned you on to. Mm-hmm. Which, to the ladies of Creepy Caffeine, we adore you. Yes, Whitney and Danny, keep doing what you're doing because you're so cute. Oh, so adorable. <laughs> you make me laugh on the train and I look like a crazy person. And that's probably a good thing because nobody's going to bother me if I'm sitting there laughing out loud to a podcast. Yeah, so for me, I would like to talk about like maybe suggestions of stuff that you can watch to entertain yourself until we come up with another podcast. Okay. So for me... You know, everybody is like all tied up on RuPaul's Drag Race and that's cool and everything. But I got um, somehow got myself into Dragula. Oh, the Boulay Brothers Dragula. Yes. So I started watching it and I love it. It's great. So being a horror junkie, like and, and, and being part of the gay community, I love it. So I got Tam onto it, and we did watched it nonstop just as season three was coming out. So we yes. watched season three every day as it came out, and I can tell you, even if you're not a huge fan of drag and all the drama that comes with it, this particular series. Will... If you, if you're a horror fan, if you're a punk fan, if you like goth music, if you just like to see people doing like creative things, or you just want to get like. A case of the squidgies it's great for all of those yeah like hands down season one the first elimination challenge was just like holy shit they threw down the gauntlet they did and they threw down the gauntlet and they kept building on it and it was just so fucking good i won't give you any spoilers for any of the seasons i'm just gonna tell you that there's three seasons three winners and, and yeah and they're their goal is to find a drag monster who embodies filth, glamour, and drag. And I am here for it. Yeah, I mean, the filth, like, made me gag, so... Yeah. It's, it's fucking good. And not gag in a, like, oh, it's a drag queen, I'm gagging for it. No, like, literally, like, Because there's some things that are definitely... Over the top? Yes. But... It's totally worth it because nobody else is doing shit like that. Yeah. And as far as, like, books and stuff go, um, I listened to a lot of, like... So this whole thing started when Tam was like, you have to listen to... um, You gotta read the Neil Gaiman book. Oh, Good Omens. Yes. Good Omens is one of my absolute favorite books of all time. Yeah. So before this series came out on Amazon, I listened to the audiobook because, you know, unfortunately in this day and age, my brain can't even handle like a simple book. But audiobooks are great, especially being in navigating Chicago traffic. Yes. Or if you're navigating the public transit system. Yeah. So a super great, amazing stories. And the cool thing, if you're listening on like Audible, most of Neil Gaiman's books, except for that one. Mm. are narrated by him yes which i love that man and me too he is totally what my like guru when it comes to writing and when i do sit down to write which is vague but it's happened i've written a novel um we'll get to that some other day um i would like to read it 
I know. I I will bring it to you at some point. But um and his he, wife is amazing too. His wife is Amanda Palmer from the Dresden Dolls and now her own amazing career. Coin operated boy. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah, so they're amazing in and of themselves. I once reposted a video of them singing um double feature picture show live on TV and Neil Gaiman reposted it and like you totally fangirled. I totally fangirled and <laughs> it was a moment. So I'm just going to say thanks Neil Gaiman. And if you ever listen to this, sir, you have the most soothing British accent in the world. My half gave house off. It's just like, oh God. And you know, hey, if you don't have the time to listen to the book and you don't feel like reading a book, they have made the miniseries for Amazon Prime. It's really good too. Oh, I no. mean David, David Tennant, Tennant as uh, fucking Crowley. Yes. Oh, who is an angel sh- who didn't necessarily fall as much as sauntered downward to become a demon (laughs) and i mean best character ever yeah i mean just the dynamics between him and as a who's his companion and angel counterpart counterpart maybe boyfriend yeah like you listen to it and you're like are they non part scissoring (laughs) what's what's going on there they're in love and i love it for it but um that's up to interpretation though neil gaiman has said that he's here for it so anyway read it listen to it watch the series enjoy yourself it's a great read it's hilarious and that dry british humor is to die for stay creepy have fun be weird and don't let anybody tell you any different yeah stay your freaky selves so thank you for listening to our podcast we love you share us get us out there so people can enjoy us as much as hopefully you do check out our instagram diet black podcast send us emails at dietblack at gmail.com follow um our individual instagrams or if you know you're into like weird punk rock bands, check out Size of Sadness, which is um, my current project. <laughs> and Diet Black. Diet.